We'll roll right into it. Uh, Mac right. the VC. <laughs> McKeever Conwell, uh, as known as Mac, the VC, obviously rare breed VC. You are on the show today. This show is sponsored by Active Campaign. Go beyond email marketing with True Automation by signing up at activecampaign.com slash technori. Get your first two months for free on me. Mac is my guest today on the show uh, for a multitude of reasons. I've been a stalker for, for starters. I've been watching you, uh, watching you on Twitter, loving what you're doing. And I keep seeing people who are on my show or people I run with and then there's like a Twitter exchange and you're in it. And then there's, they start sharing news. Rare breed is involved in this. And I'm like, how am I finding this out on Twitter? How come, how come no one tells me I talk to them, then you talk to them, then they talk to me and they don't tell me about you. I'm like, what the fuck? So I had to get you on the show. Um, and there, there's just so much here. Like you, we talked about this before the show, you know, it's been kind of a labor of love and then labor of obsession and now kind of labor of profit at times. Uh, for me to engage the community in investing and to open up. Uh, originally, it started with uh, first-time founders, minority founders, female founders, like people who are just flat out underserved from the investment community because they weren't from Nutrier or something. And those individuals, I think we did a, a good job partnering with Republic to get them um, to, to understand that they can raise that startup funds needed, that they don't need to take a mega round and they don't need to ask mom and dad for the last penny to make this work. Um, in fact, no rich assholes who have done this before ask mom and dad for that kind of money. They don't need to, cause there's all kinds of rich people around them that fund them. So it was sort of changing the changing the guard of how this kind of early stage stuff worked. And then as we evolved the community, you know, and, and with the help of Republic, we got into this point of, of community investing, retail investing, micro investing. And now that's sort of what we do. And, and I'm so excited to see you and a lot of other people, Harry Stebbings just announced his fund, Pomp's got his crypto and, and AngelList fund, um, started to get involved. And it's not a bunch of VCs. It's a bunch of dudes that maybe Mac the VC on Twitter, but not Mac the VC in real life. So I just want to know your story. I got, I, I got to know how you got here and okay. why you want to put yourself through this shit. Um, so Thank you for uh, inviting me on. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here. And um, my story is fairly, I guess, you know, not uncommon in the tech ecosystem, right? So um, I'm from Baltimore. Um, I went to school to study computer science before it was a cool thing. I got lucky on that one. Um, my sophomore year of school, I got an internship with the DOD and got a top secret clearance. So my junior year of school, I dropped out because Northrop Grumman offered me a bunch of money. I spent the nice. next several years as a government contractor and made a bunch of money and, and did really well for myself. And then in 2010, me and two of my best friends decided we were going to start a startup. And really, before that, when I got into the when I got my internship program with the government, um, within the program, um, there was like 200 students, another 200, like 20, 25 of us were black. And so of course, all the black kids hung together. But everybody in the program was either a computer science major or electrical engineering major, right? And these became my core group of friends through my 20s, right? These really well-educated young people who were super smart, all had top secret clearances. And like, these are the same people I'm going to DC and <laughs> party with every weekend. <laughs> it's right? like the CIA running around. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really cool. And, and one of those individuals in my group was this gentleman by the name of Patrick Jackson. And I mentioned him because Patrick was the first person I met who wanted to be a startup entrepreneur. Like he was obsessed with being the black Mark Zuckerberg. Like that was his thing. 
right? He's the reason why I learned how to code in PHP because he told me Facebook was made in PHP, right? Um, he he like built his first website in like 06. Um, and it was like a platform for students at Howard University to like uh, sell books that they didn't need anymore. He was the first person I knew to make an iPhone app. Like he made his first iPhone app in like 07, 08. Like, like, the, like the app store was, was new. And like yeah. he was putting apps out and stuff. And then in 2009, he quit his job and moved to San Francisco. And he had gotten some money from some ex-Googlers, right? And it was like, wow. But the whole time he was doing this, he was telling us all, like, we need to do things. We need to be like this. And so a group of us, like six or seven of us, got together and all started businesses. But the funny part was, we didn't know what startups were. We didn't know what VCs were. <laughs> we, didn't know yeah. we were just engineers who could build stuff. And so in 2010, me and two of my best friends started a company. Um, it was basically a platform that allowed people to crowdfund money to gifts for gifts. And so... Um, we didn't know anything. We were building this product. We didn't have customers. So we figured in order to get customers, we needed money. And so to get money, you talk to these people called investors. So let's go meet investors, right? And that's like started <laughs> us down this rabbit hole of like learning how- God, does this sound going. familiar? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we end up, you know, uh, we end up going through an accelerator in Baltimore. Then we go through an accelerator in San Francisco and like our, our minds are blown, right? Like we get to see how Silicon Valley works. Um, it was actually the new me accelerator. It's the first accelerator for minority-led startups. And that got us introduced to the who's who of Silicon Valley. My first week in San Francisco, I met Eric Reese, right? I go on to meet Ben Horowitz, uh, Mish Kapoor, like all these amazing folks. And so we learned how all this worked. And then we also realized the product we were building at the time was really common. A bunch of people were doing it. <laughs> no VC yep. was interested. And so we had to figure out a way to differentiate ourselves. So we figured out a way for people to gift each other paid iPhone apps. So like if somebody gave you $2, get, put $2 towards yeah. buying the latest version of Angry Birds, you know, you might be happy about that. Well, what we realized was we could do that and send it in the form of a link so you would get a text message. And when you clicked on it, it would just download to your device. Nobody had ever seen that at the time. And like after showing, after doing like a few, uh, showing uh, a few demos of it and watching people's like eyes pop out of their head, I was like, maybe we should just do that. Let's just focus on yeah. That. And so we created a platform to allow people to programmatically purchase anything they wanted from iTunes or Google Play and distribute them in the form of links. And so, so you could do it in a tweet, an email, uh, a Facebook message, whatever. And so we started selling that to loyalty and rewards companies and eventually sold that off to a division of a Fortune 100 company, right? Great ride, learned a whole bunch of stuff, you know, got into it. So I felt like I understood the business. I knew what I was doing. So I started another business. This time it was an e-commerce platform to support people who were selling things on Instagram, but doing it through like email and text messages, right? So I was like, let's build them a platform that's like an Instagram clone, but has a whole bunch of products on the back end for sellers. And so set that up, put a team together, got 120 sellers to sign up in two weeks, $20 a month, sight unseen pre-product, used that to raise some angel money, got into an accelerator in Philadelphia, and then my team fell apart. Um, my lead developer, when you know, we were living in a one-bedroom loft in West Philadelphia. And one day we came back to the loft and my lead developer was gone. And I didn't see him again for two years. <laughs> and so uh did, did he explain anything or is this like rounders yeah. where he comes home and she took the, yeah, the yeah. ice ice cube tray? Exactly. Like we came back and like he was just gone. Nobody could call him, nobody could email him. He was just he just disappeared for two years. Um <laughs> 
we were never oh able to God. get the product back on track. And so that company cratered. Um, that was awesome. Then I, I came back to Baltimore and got a job at a marketing firm. Um, they hired me to be the head of like internal products because the CEO had all these ideas and products he wanted to make. And I'm like, cool, I can be an entrepreneur. I can get a paycheck and do cool yeah. stuff. But of course, it's just Turns a out that firm. sucks. Yeah, Turns but, but out also, it was just a marketing firm that specialized in e-commerce websites. So yeah. of course, I ended up just running the tech team and running a team of junior front-end developers building e-commerce sites. Not what I signed up for. Um, so after being there for a year, that was terrible. Um, I found my way to the investment arm of the state of Maryland, um, the Maryland Technology Development Corporation of Tedco. And so Tedco is the largest funder of early stage tech companies in the, in the state and one of the largest in the country. They do anywhere from 50 to 80 investments a year across nine different funds. They get $21 million annually from the state of Maryland. Really cool outfit to work at. And so they hired me to be part of the seed investment team to $100,000 to $200,000 investments and companies in the state. But when they hired me in 2016, they were having issues of investing in blacklist startups. And yep. when they tried to address it, they talked to the community and what the community said was, Tedco didn't look like us, they don't market to us, and we don't have access to friends and family capital to compete for seed funding. And so Tedco was really thoughtful about answering those first two questions, but the question around friends and family capital, they were struggling with. And so I came up with a, a proposal to build, a, to start a pre-seed fund to invest in these entrepreneurs earlier than anybody else. The goal was to give them $40,000 to help get them the seed. And then I was able to facilitate a partnership with the Harbor Bank of Maryland, a black owned bank here in Baltimore that put up half the money for the first year. Um, I actually got in trouble because I did the partnership with the bank before I gave my proposal to my bosses. Um, it turns <laughs> out I wasn't allowed to do a deal on the behalf of the state of Maryland, but- um, You had top circuit, you know, clear, you know, clearance. So like what, you know. Do they like, know that? Like, come on. It's okay. Um, and, but, you know, <laughs> they let me do it and they let me run it. And so that first year we made nine investments. The second year we increased the designation of women in all minority groups, raised the dollar amount from 40 to 50, added in some wraparound services and made another nine investments. And then in 2019, the state of Maryland put a million dollars in the annual budget to make it a long-term fund in the state. It's the first and only state-backed pre-seed fund for women and minorities in the country something I'm really proud of. And so after that, we got the money from the state. I left that fund and I joined our portfolio management team because I found myself getting pigeonholed to be a black guy that invested in black and brown companies, right? I just wanted to be known for investing in good companies. Um, so, uh, so I did portfolio management across all nine of our portfolios for a year, really helping companies with partnerships and follow-on funding. And then about seven weeks ago today, um, I quit that job to start Rare Breed. Um, and so that's the journey, right? Um, but the reason why I chose to do Rare Breed because, you know, that, was, that wasn't the original thought. The original thought was I would start my career at Tedco, do, you know, learn the ropes and then go get a job at a bigger firm and get a real paycheck and, you know, live a good life. Um, but what happened was I met these two entrepreneurs who changed my life. The first one was a woman out of Baltimore, single mom, super smart, you know, has, she meets me through a friend of a friend tells me she has this great idea. This idea of building a product in a market that's been un, that hasn't had any innovation in like 50 years is one of the most original thoughts I'd ever heard. And so I started to try to support her. Nobody's interested, nobody wants to talk to her. She's too early, she didn't have a prototype, all these things. And so after trying to support her for two and a half years or so, nobody's biting. 
she reaches out to me. She's excited. She's like, Mac, I figured out how I'm paying for my prototype. I'm like, cool. What are you going to do? I think she's calling me to tell me about her loan. She called to tell me she became a surrogate mother. She gave birth to twins so that she could fund building a prototype of a product that's servicing a market that literally hasn't had innovation in 50 plus years. Like she will be what? a category definer and like nobody cared to back her. Um, I got really upset. And then when I thought about it, I couldn't think of a single fund I could have worked at in the United States where I would have been able to make that investment because of how early she was. And I hated that idea. And so in that moment, I knew I was going to, I knew I was going to start a fund. I instead of, I wasn't going to join a fund, I was going to start my own. I just didn't know how. And so then fast forward to this June, uh, for those who follow me on Twitter, Mac the VC, if you notice, um, Back in June, I only had 2,500 followers. Today, I have 17,000, right? It's been, it's been five months. And what happened was I started You've being- been busy. Consistent. You've been yeah. busy. I just started staying consistent. Like whenever I tweeted, it always did well, but like I would get overwhelmed with people reaching out and things. Be like, okay, I did this. But I, I started being consistent on Twitter. And um, one of the founders who reached out to me, just cold outreach, was this Latinx founder in Dallas, Texas, building this really cool company um, he was doing 10,000 monthly recurring revenue, had gone through a big name accelerator. Um, he was a technologist. Like this is a guy who's been coding since he was seven. And then I asked him like, how are you getting customers? And he's like, you know, I'm an engineer. It's not really my thing, but I have a partnership with this really large consulting firm. I'm like, nobody gets partnership with these consulting firms. You probably just know a yeah. project manager who's sending you deals or whatever. Then he sends me an email with a signed partnership with this consultant with this large international consulting firm. I've never actually seen a startup get one of these before in my life. Yeah, they all like, talk about it. I know a guy. <laughs> I like. I was like, wow. And so I asked him, like, what are you doing? He's like, he's raising five hundred dollars, five hundred thousand on this really low cap, and I, and I can't figure out why he's raising on such a low cap or where nobody wants to give him any money. And it comes down to like he's a Latin guy in Dallas, Texas. So I'm like, okay, let's put a special purpose vehicle together and make a one-off investment, get him going, right? Because he deserves a shot. Like this company could legitimately be something. And as I was like circling the money together, one of my advisors said, look, Mac, you always tell me your superpower is finding these diamond in the rough entrepreneurs. It looks like you found another one. So I don't want to invest in this one company. I want to invest in every company you find. So here's some money, go raise a fund. And so then I was like, I guess a fundraising. And so that's... <laughs> That's how Rare Breed got moving. And that's how we got here. Okay. I got a lot of shit. I got to go. <laughs> like, I got to put, <laughs> I'm trying to like put this in order in my head. So I got some deep, deep stuff. And then I got some stuff that I, I want to kind of circle and identify. Like this show, okay. we try to make this show about you. And I want the audience to be able to take something and be like, fuck, I can do that. Right. Absolutely. So, I, I, as a person who invests, I look at myself similar to you. I look for people uh, who 90% of the investors look at that and go, no, thanks. No, they don't even look at, they don't even look at the deck. They spend nine seconds out. And I'm like, are you stupid? Like, I, like, what am I, am, am I stupid? Like I'm trying to figure out what I see, why I see it. And so I try to distill these things down to, um, I call them BFIs, big fucking ideas. That's where I'm at. Like you yep. got a big fucking idea and I want to get behind it. I don't want little ideas. I don't, I can't get rich on little ideas. I'm, I'm past that. I have too much debt. So when I talk to some of these founders, 
what I, I sort of noticed for myself was, and, I, and we've, I'm sure had very different backgrounds, but I, I certainly came from a, a place where my parents both worked and there was no money to like, I couldn't go to my parents, like I want a hundred thousand dollars to start something or, or like I had a, a, a family friends or people around me who could cut a big check. I had no access. When I came into this tech piece, I went, I left grad school, came into this. I went to the, the most well-known VCs, anyone in Chicago. And literally they said, this is the stupidest fucking idea I've ever heard in my life. That was a quote. Then came back on a stage four years later and go, I told this kid this is the stupidest fucking idea ever, but I was wrong. So I got, I got that, like, I guess, affirmation. But what I realized was, is I'm fortunate. Like you were fortunate in that you had the, the start that you had. I'm fortunate that I had enough support from my family that I could take some risks that maybe other people couldn't. So I got to thinking, if I can barely make this happen, how in the hell is anyone else going to make this happen? I mean, I took out a credit card loan for 65K when the investors told me I was stupid. And everybody I talked to was like, this is terrible. My friends basically abandoned me. They were like, he's lost his mind. This dude's doing podcasts for a living. Like, I don't know what the fuck. And so like, I was literally in this same spot where I was like, oh, we got to do something better than what is, what is existing. And my BFI was that I could be, you talk about how your friend, you said Pat, right? Pat Jackson? That yep. Pat wanted to be the, the black Mark Zuckerberg. I wanted to be Chicago's Sean Parker, if you will. Like my objective was I could be that guy that every retail investor who doesn't speak VC talk and founders who don't speak it could decode for them. That was my B of I. I thought if I could teach everyone how to invest in startups, that the, the legislation and guys like Ken Wynn would be able to set this up so that eventually the cards would fall flat and I wouldn't have to run a fund. I could just literally assemble troops. These guys are winners, pile in. That guy's a winner, pile in. That girl's a winner, pile in. And so to me, I look at your story and I'm like, I got two things that stand out just blaring. You had multiple ideas and some success, some failures, but the real BFI on this whole thing was you sitting there and be like, this lady had to have children for someone else to fund her shit. Like what? And, and you were knowing like, I'm this, I got to do this to make this happen. So I want to know, like in your head, where's that dark, deep place when everyone's telling you this is a stupid thing to do, or you're not the right guy to do it. Or, you know, these people's companies can't be helped. What is that moment like for you when you finally face the abyss and you're like, Oh, hell no. Like I can do it. I'm going to do it. Uh, it's weird, right? Because I guess I've developed a risk tolerance that's just far different. Like quitting a six-figure job when I was 24, 25. Like I started making six figures yeah, at 22, right? Um, and like to quit that and like leave and move to San Francisco and I stayed in San Francisco for nine months like flat broke not making any money kind of a thing um it was never hard I mean growing up in Baltimore like you know we grew up with meager means and like there were there were times where like we went without so like for me I always thought to myself what's the worst case scenario in any of these things right like if I fail what's the worst possible thing to happen I'd be flat broke and a bunch of debt with an amazing skill set that's always profitable and a mom who loves me so much that she will always let me come back and live for a couple months while I get back on my feet. It's not that bad. I have a decent yeah. safety net. And, and knowing that 
that game that always gives me the ability to be just like crazy and risky and do whatever the hell because like if i fail so what i know how to get back like yep. if everything i if everything i have if i lost everything today right i still know how to code i'm a full stack developer like yeah. i could find a job and if i couldn't find a job i can get on a freelancer mm-hmm. site and get some contracts yeah and yeah get myself some money right so like none of this stuff is but so risky to me right because like i've been homeless before i've lived out of a truck I'll never be that way again. If I had to, like, I, I know what that feels like. Yeah. And so I want to be in a place where the people around me never have to feel that. Right. And so like, it's not a, a dark abyss. It's just like, okay, like this is what we're going to do. And everybody's like, well, that doesn't even sound right. That's crazy. What are you doing that for? Cause I, I want to like, but we don't think that's smart. That's okay. I do. I don't need your approval. It's okay. I'll either either be right or I'll be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'll live with it. But if I'm right, I'm going to end up helping a lot of people and making a lot of money. What better way is there to live? (laughs) I totally agree with you. And I want to roll into that a little bit because like the, again, very different circumstances. But I lived several years, no paycheck, no nothing, trying to build this thing up. Basically begging uh, Paul to pay Peter to steal from Dan. Like I'm, I'm just moving all over trying to make it work. And, you know, I had the safety net like you that my, my mom would be like, okay, you know, I'll spot you here or there, or you can just come home. I lived at home in the basement for a little while when I was like, I, I got nothing, but I'm so close. I know I can see it. And everyone's looking at me like I'm nuts. And I, I think that there's, there's a couple pieces to this that I think are valuable for other people and the founders you're trying to help. Like, what is the worst case scenario? Like if you were, if you really, really want to have fancy watches and fancy shit and, and that's your whole thing, then, you know, this isn't for you. Like, cause you don't get to go from zero to Mark Zuckerberg. That's not how this goes. So if you're really, truly that, like you're that materialistic driven and, and I'm not judging you, like, I'm just, if that's your thing, then yeah. You know what? Living in a truck for a couple of months and, and feeling what you perceive other people to be shaming you then this isn't for you. You're going to have too much external pressure to be able to succeed it anyway. But if you are not that person, you're listening to this show and you're like, I don't give a fuck. I'll do whatever. The worst case scenario is you're going to live in a truck for a little while. You're not going to have money. You don't get to go travel. You don't get to go out with your friends. But guess what? All that time you have, you get to work on whatever it is your craft is. And if you're any good at all, good enough that you would bet on yourself to do this, then there's a job out there or a contract out there or whatever out there for you when you need it. It's like you control your fate. And I think that's the thing that holds a lot of these founders back. And it's the thing that I appreciate when I follow you and I watch what you do and what you say, where I'm like, you're exposing that you control your fate. Nobody else does. And, and, in that, and whatever it is, it's okay. If you're okay with it, it's okay. And everyone else doesn't matter. And I think you do such a tremendous job of showing that every day when I look at your stuff, it's like, you could write a paragraph and all I saw was it's on you. Like, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. So like, it is on you, but you know, you do need the breaks, right? You need the people to support you. You need the advisors. You need. The I'm talking tools. about taking the leap. You definitely the, the, need all leap, that to succeed, but that leap is you. The leap is, the leap is always you. Cause nobody can push you to do this. Nobody can make you build for this. Right. Like it's like, 
and like entrepreneurs, like I, I laugh at entrepreneurs are like, well, you know, cause we know we talk, you know, VCs don't sign NDAs. They're like, well, what if you steal my idea? And I always laugh because I'm like, you think I want to build a business again? You think I want to go through that? Yeah. <laughs> do you know how hard this Hell is? No. Do you Do you understand how long it takes to get to the mountaintop and how difficult that is and how few companies make it? Why the hell would I want to build your business? No, you can be the one. I want to support you to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't care about your, like, I don't care about your idea. I don't want your idea. Like if I'm going to build something that, 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 that takes that much effort and is this hard, let me build something that I actually like, something that I actually want to do. Not something I just think is cool. Because something you think is just cool, when, look, man, I had to go through some things trying to build that first company. Like, like when I started my first company, I had a six-figure job three cars and a four-story town home and a fiance. By the time we sold that company, I had a car. <laughs> All right. Like that happened. It's just, that's crazy. And that's like, that's but, that but, life. But like you get to a point sometimes, especially when you're an entrepreneur, you don't know any of this stuff, right? So you're already behind. So like you spend the first year or two years just learning how to do anything, just learning how to even exist in this ecosystem. And yeah. then once you're there, you start moving forward. Right. Like, me and my friends used to joke, like we were playing this game of like, how, like how, how slowly can I get to zero? And then we would all get to zero and be like, okay, how far past zero can I get before I start to crack? And you just get to a point where it's like, you know, peanut butter and jelly every night. That's okay. Like ramen oh, noodles, this I'm, is the most unhealthy thing in the world. This okay. Cup, you know what? I'm hungry. I'm gonna go to 7-Eleven, get a cup of noodles for a dollar. And that'll be breakfast and lunch. And then hopefully I got enough cereal and milk in there for dinner, right? Like. I'm not doing that for something that I'm not passionate about or something I don't love, right? I'm not gonna love your idea. And I hope you love it because there may be days like that. And that's not for everybody. Not everybody's journey is that way, right? But there are enough people whose journeys are. Like for any founder out there, if you wanna get perspective on this, there is a great show called Inside the Actor Studio, right? Oh yeah. Um, it's a show where this amazing teacher sits down and interviews these actors. And it's like the who's who's of actors. Every actor is somebody you know. But when he talks to them, every single one of them, every single one of them talks about how hard it was for them to break in the industry. How they were, you know, they were flat broke going from, you know, um, rehearsal to rehearsal, you know, trying to get roles, doing commercials, and then they get a break. Like every single one, every actor you know who you think is famous and made it, they all went through some shit. Like every single one of them just knows the same thing for entrepreneurs. Like this stuff is hard. And so if you're going to do this, be ready for it. But it's on you to be okay with that. If you're not ready for some of those struggles, like I'm not, I'm not here to make it easy for you. I'm here to support you. The stuff isn't easy. I listen, man, I totally, I could not agree more with you. I think I'm not going to paint this brush across everyone say everyone has to go through this because there are certain circumstances that you just don't. And some people are lucky uh, that they had money or they, they just had a, a skill set that enabled them to make money while they made the dream, you know? Um, but I, I really do think that that part of that journey um, and it doesn't even, honestly, it doesn't even matter if you come from money because I know people who come from real money and, and I definitely had like a middle-class upbringing. Like if I needed money, I could have asked for a couple thousand dollars. I could ask for 10, 20,000. If I really needed that is like, that's it. 
Um, but I didn't. And I, I looked at it like the journey for me in that early stage was going to be about the struggle. And if you, you can get through that, I almost, I guess what I'm trying to get at is I wonder if the ceiling is relative to the floor. Like, I wonder if how big some of these guys and girls and companies can get to, which require as you get higher and higher and higher to be able to dig deeper, 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 how low did you get to find that threshold to break you so that there's no risk, there's no threat, you can live in squalor, you don't care, it's about the process. I feel like the people I see that have not gone through that, they, they shit out at the end because they just can't quite take the heat. Uh, not exclusively, but a good number of them. You talk about the actor studio. I mean, how many of these people had, like they gave up everything and everyone's looking at them like, what are you doing? And, you know, it's like you pop up, you haven't heard from this person for five years. They've been living out of a truck. They pop up five years later, sell something. Next thing you know, they got the biggest house in your street and like, oh shit. And now you want to be them, but you didn't take the sacrifices and choose that path. And that's the difference. Yeah, man, this stuff, this stuff isn't easy. It is not made for a week of heart, but like, also, you know, I recognize not everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur either. Right. Like oh, early yeah. on, I used to tell all my friends, like, you got to do this entrepreneurship. It's the only way to be. And I had to realize, man, that's not right for everybody. Yeah. Like, not everybody, not everybody's meant to do this and that's okay. Like, you know, there are other ways to make money. Like if I had to just kept the job I had and kept doing what I was doing, I'd be so much better off today. I was so just going to say, off. do you ever wonder about that? If you're like, like, I would not be as happy. No question. Like I could have taken a job where I'm getting, you know, 300,000, whatever it is. Right. I, I don't, I wouldn't, I would not love my life. I'd have a bigger house. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Do you ever look at that? Or does that like, and I'm asking this genuinely, cause I think that there's a, there's a, a mindset here that I'm starting so to see. I think about it sometimes because like I'd be far better off financially, um, but I would have never found my true calling in life. Like when I got my job at Tech, I used to tell my bosses all the time, I can't believe you paid me to this. Like I literally spent all day talking to entrepreneurs and going to events. I did that for the last six years of my life you know, for free. You give me yeah. a paycheck to do this and I get to help people. Wow. And like, I, I genuinely loved going to work every day. It was the first time in my life I experienced that thing where people's like, when you have a job you love, it doesn't feel like work. I always thought that was yep. BS. Like there's no such thing, right? Like who loves to yeah. work? But I legitimately had a job where I worked for other people and loved it. Like absolutely loved it. So now I have a job where I'm creating a firm where I still get to do what I love, but I'm also making impact, right? Like. Like I could go start another business. I could become an operator at a company and make way more money today. Like I, I could do yeah. that, but I could never make the same amount of impact because if I have a portfolio, let's say I invest in 30 companies and let's say of that 30, let's say five of them go off to do well. That's five companies that are going to make impacts on other employees, individuals in their communities and in broader communities and broader ecosystems that wouldn't have had that before, that's the impact I can't make by myself as a one-off. Yep. But I can spread the impact out across these companies. And then hopefully those companies lead to more companies and lead to more companies, lead to more impact. That's real. You really can touch the world in such a way, even in a small way. Like, even if you just build Google, that's great. 
But if you're the person who invested in Google, Amazon, and you know Uber, you did more. I want to be the person that increased that has more impact. So for me, that's why I like I love what the hell I do. I wish that I had heard you say something like that prior to when I was asked that question, because I don't feel like I answered it nearly as well. Like I, I, I feel like at the core, I want to help people. I want to make money too, but I want to give people a shot. And I, I misfired on that. Like <laughs> you, you just nailed it. And I'm like, because I legit got this question from a very well-known entrepreneur and investor in Chicago. And he was like, it kind of changed my whole spin on stuff. To be honest, a couple of years ago, he was like, why do you do this? And I was like, whatever, give the boilerplate, you know, thing. And he's like, don't you think you should go build something great on your own first and then do it? And I was like, fuck you, man. And then like, I started thinking about it. I was like, yeah, you're right. But then I started thinking about myself, thinking about that. And I was like, wait a minute, is he though? Cause like, right. if I, if I build one thing and I make, let's say I crush it and I make 20 millionaires at the exit, that's cool. But what if I gave 20 entrepreneurs to give the ability for them each to make 20 millionaires? Exactly. That's a lot more millionaires. Yeah. And, and then I, I want to, now I might just call this guy back up like, Hey, two years later, I just thought about it. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> just, just for the record. And I get some money though. Cause I'm raising a fund here. <laughs> um, yeah. No, man, you, you got it, man. This is, this is the coolest coolest stuff to see someone you, you are doing this in such an organic way that I just think is awesome. And it's, it's funny to me because like a lot of these investors are former hedge fund guys or former VCs, UBS traders. And I get it. Like, I don't have that math in my brain the way that they do. I see a little different story. I don't need, but I, I, yeah, but like, but I hear the conversation with them and I'm like, man, you, you're missing something. You don't, you're, there's like, you're judging me but they're like your DNA is broken a little bit. Cause you don't actually, you've never had the struggle like this. Like you didn't, you might've been poor and you had risks on your own. So I'm not disrespecting the craft by any stretch, right. but you're judging people that you're investing in without context. Yes. And I think that is why we see that's a microcosm for why we see the people who get funded and the people who don't get funded. It's, in, it's just, that's just what I think. I'm with you, man. You know, there there are entrepreneurs I support that I've bet that are doing well. That like, you know, when I met them, it didn't make sense. You know, my our top performing company out of our previous portfolio out of the state, the the company didn't make sense from an investment standpoint when we met the founder. But the founder made all the sense in the world. Um, it's a company called Scholar Me, right? Um, when I met the founder, he was a 17 year old kid in high school. He was at an incubator event that I was speaking at. I don't know why he was there. It's a small incubator in the middle of like Maryland. Um, it's like 15 people in the room. He's like the youngest person there. And he's telling everybody how he's a growth hacker, how he has, how he's had two businesses. He sold one already. Like, yo, who the hell is this kid, right? And so I, I got to meet him, got to know him, stayed in touch with him. Um, I was speaking like these high school events and he was like always at these events. Like, okay, why are you here? And so one day I called him, see how he was doing, see how college was going, right? Again, this kid is probably one of the, he's not a kid. This young man is one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. So he, he wanted to go to Columbia, but he wanted to go to school in California. And he also wanted to study abroad. So the school, so he got into a school in California 
and he got Columbia to agree to like a five-year master's program, but he had done so many credits in high school that he got his, his, his college to agree to let him study a year abroad. And so he was going to go to these three colleges. So he got all to get of it. a master's degree. And he, and he got everybody to agree to it, right? Cool. I was like, how do you even do that? But anyway, so I called him up when they see how he's doing. He's like, Mac, I figured out my startup idea. I was like, great, what is it? He's like, it's a common application for scholarships. Because what he did was he couldn't figure out how to pay for school. So he basically automated the process of applying for scholarships. And it worked so well that he got more money than he needed to pay for school. And so he's like, so he turned it into a product. And I'm like, cool, that's a terrible idea. It's never going to make money because like, it's just like, it's just not an industry that makes money, right? Yep. And so he's talking to me and he's like, yeah, I got 25,000 users in my first three months. I'm like, how did you do that? And he's like, well, I put up a splash page. You got a bunch of kids to sign up. I can believe that. And they said, then I found as many of them as I could on Venmo and sent each one of them a penny with a message that said, here's money for college. If you want more, check out Scholarly. It was the most incredible thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> right? And so in that moment, I knew he would be one of the smartest people in any room he ever walked in. And so I was like, yeah, let's make this investment. Took us six months, took me six months to convince my team to do it. We make the investment. He goes to New York, lives in the, he takes our 40,000, uses it to live in New York for like six months. Ends up raising a bunch of money from a bunch of ex-Goldman Sachs folks. Leaves there, goes to YC, raises money from YC. Paul Graham personally put in a 100K check in this company. GSV, a top ed tech company, led, a top ed tech uh, venture firm, led the round. Now he's on a rocket ship and he's like, like, he's trying to figure out how much he's going to raise next. And like people are throwing money at him at this point, right? He's 21 and a black kid from Baltimore, living the dream because somebody was willing to take a chance on him when he was building a company that didn't make sense. Because I knew he was smart enough to figure it out. So if you check out Scholar Me today, they basically encompass any way you could get money for school. So they, they allow you to fill out your FAFSA, apply for scholarships, student loans, ISAs, anything else, grants, what have you, to incorporate trying to figure out how to pay for college. It's an amazing platform. It makes all the sense in the world. And why? Because he's one of the smartest people I'll ever meet. And I knew that when I met him when he was 17. And so like being able to back entrepreneurs like that is just, it feels good, right? Like it's fun. There's nothing more, I, at least for me, more interesting than when you meet someone, you're just like, damn. Yes. Whoa. And then they like walk out of the room and you look around and you see other people and like, well, I don't know. And you're like, what? Like we were, <laughs> we were, like, I wonder why, what am I looking same at? Same company? Did yeah. we talk to the same founder? Like, my, my mind is, I'm still blown on this Venmo one penny. That's the most brilliant marketing I've ever heard of in my life. Something that I could spend a month in an, in an incubator and I would never think of. Exactly. exactly. Problem solver extraordinaire. This is awesome. So, tell me a little bit as we wrap up here. Tell me a little bit about where Rare Breed is going. Like, where, where it's going to be next. Well, currently, we're still in the middle of a uh, round. We're raising $10 million. Um, we're about, we're, we're, little, we're close to halfway there. Um, anybody who's interested in being an LP, um, we are doing this under 506C designation, so I can publicly solicit. We are fundraising. If you go to rarebreed.vc, uh, if you want to become an LP, there's a button there. You click, it'll send you to our subscription dots. Please, uh, the minimum check size currently is 10K. Uh, that minimum check size will be raising up over time. So get in while you can. 
Um, but rare breed is a pre-seed to seed venture fund investing in entrepreneurs primarily outside the major tech hubs, so outside of Silicon Valley, New York, and Massachusetts. We will opportunistically participate in companies in those areas when it makes sense, but that's not where the majority of our deal flow comes in. Um, we are targeting uh, um, uh, first check size of 250,000, so slightly higher than what you typically see at pre-seed, but very strategically for that. Um, we're industry agnostic. We don't invest in um, life sciences companies because like that's just not our skill set. Uh, we may opportunistically participate in like uh, medical devices because yeah. We're based in Baltimore, so our proximity, Johns Hopkins University, like there's some advantages there. But we'll do just about anything else. But the two things we really key in on is if it's a software company, we like to see a clearly repeatable or unique customer acquisition strategy. Clearly, Skyline, we had a very unique customer acquisition strategy, right? Um, yeah. Or we like physical products, typically in consumer markets that have lacked innovation in 10 or more years, these legacy markets, because those two founders tend to be out-of-the-box thinkers and out-of-the-box problem solvers. So that's what we're building today. That's what we're fundraising for today. But what we're going to be, and I've had people ask me this recently, we want to be NEA. That's the goal. We want to be one of the top venture firms in the world. We want to be a multi-stage venture firm based in Maryland, based in Baltimore. And I use NEA very candidly because what many people don't know is the found, many of the founders from NEA come from Maryland. I've met many of them. Um, the family office of one of them is actually the LP in my fund, right? Um, well, let me be clear. It's the, it's the family office is ran by the son of one of the founders of NEA. And he's yeah. an LP in the fund, um, which is a really cool thing. But probably more accurately is we want to be the next Greenspring Associates, which again, is another venture firm based in, in Maryland, um, started by folks who have ties to the NEA families. And what they do is they are not only direct investors in companies, they're also LPs, right? So they're fund to funds and they're also direct funds. And that is an amazing strategy that I find really interesting because as I've built up my, my skill set of, of understanding or noticing what makes a great entrepreneur, I'm doing the same now as looking to see what makes a great VC and really emerging VC, right? Because a lot of these folks are my friends. These are people I'm coming up with. Why not be in a place where I can back those individuals, back those funds, right? So the goal for Rare Breed is to be a large multi-stage fund that does both direct investments and fund the funds. And that's what we're gonna build here in Baltimore. And that's that's the goal. And you know, go big or go home, right? All day. Like, and nobody got time for small ideas. It's all about that BFI. Right. Um, you, you are, you are as a whole, a BFI. I feel like we're, we're trying to swim around, trying to find out what that moment is. You are the epitome of that, like gigantic idea, the dream. It's like, I know my limits and I haven't met them. Yeah. So let's do this. It's the only way to live, man. For me anyway, it's the only way for me to live. Same way I get bored otherwise, but <laughs> to your point about 20 minutes ago, it, it isn't for everyone. And I think that's the one thing that I will tell everyone on this show, uh, not just the show with you, but just at, at large, follow Mac the VC because all of the struggle porn and all the stupid entrepreneur VC bullshit, VC Twitter, it's not what it's like. Like it's, it's not like you get to see, you know, at Jack talking to Congress with $2 billion and a long beard. And you're like, oh, that must be nice. That's not what it's like for everybody else. Like that is 
He is, you know, Matthew McConaughey of the entrepreneurial world. He is that, you know, up there. Right. Everybody else is just out there hustling for a paycheck. And I, I just, I, I hope more people understand what they're signing up for. Um, but at the same time, I'm not trying to scare you off. I'm trying to let you understand that, like, it's not for the faint of heart. But if you are serious, you're committed and you're smart, there are guys like Mac to VC here, Mac to the layman that will be here to support you and, and, and help you in an innovative way. And so we all appreciate what you're doing. And uh, I just, I'm a big fan, man. It's, it's been really cool to talk to you and learn the real story behind it. It, it, it matches exactly with what I expected. Like you, you, you hit expectations and exceeded them. So uh, for that, I thank good you. To know. Absolutely. And again, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, hope some people got to learn something. And again, if you want to be an LP in Rare Breed, just go to our website, rarebreed.vc, click the button. You know, we're taking checks. <laughs> we will share that with you. We will share that with the whole network. Everyone should go check that out and put some money in there. Um, so I, I hope to have you on regularly if you're down for it. I think we got a lot of stuff we, we still haven't even talked about. Absolutely. Happy to come back. Awesome. Thank you, Mac. Everyone else listening to the show, you can follow me at Katoon and uh, obviously at Mac the VC. I highly recommend the follow. Check out our newsletter at technori.com. Check out my newsletter uh, on my Katoon.substack.com. Boom. That's a wrap. Mm-hmm.